All right, we're good, man. Wes, how how you doing tonight? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing well. I just got through getting my toddlers down, uh, or I guess my wife did, so the house is quiet, and uh, so it's been a good day, though. Nice. So uh, I haven't been back to Tahlequah in about two years, so I know it's growing like crazy. The new hospital is uh, is about to be finished and whatnot, and, and you're a tribal counselor for the the tribe. So how how's that going for you? Uh, it's good. It's been it's been busy. Um, I've been on there since August, so um, you know definitely still learning and trying to get better in every everyday improvements. Is it is that a two year thing? It's four year. Four year. Okay. And so, uh, what what were you doing before that? Uh, I was a professional boxer. So, you left boxing. What what made you want to do that? What why did you why did you leave? You know, um, there were there were several aspects um, that to consider. Um, most important one was my family. Uh, you know, we had a couple of daughters. Um, uh, kind of sprung on to us all of a sudden, and, and it was exciting. It's something I want to focus on and be there for. And the training aspect of it, having to leave home for six weeks at a time, is just not something that I could bear being the kind of – I couldn't do that. You know, it's something we always wanted was a family, and then we had it, and I didn't want to be uh, chasing a dream and, and leaving the family behind. Uh, the other big factor was I had an injury, and uh, – and just kind of, you know, it's one of those things, everyone has a shelf life. Uh, I feel like my shelf life was ending shorter than what it should have been just because of some injuries that I'd had um, that were kind of making it more difficult to, to rise to those big level training camps that I was needing to be in. Um, but, you know, it was it was a family decision and it was the right decision. So um, it's one of those things your heart always still wants to do. I think that goes for anybody that's in any kind of professional sport or anybody that's in a professional job, you know, when you go to retire, um, there's always the sense that you you can still do it, you still want to do it, and and, and uh, so that was kind of the reason why we ended it. You trained in Florida, right? Yeah, I trained in Florida uh, for most of my career. I trained for two fights in Houston. Okay, so you would go out for six weeks, train, and then for a fight, and then you were back in Tahlequah. Just yeah, you know. that was back in Tahlequah. So the end of my career, uh, the beginning of my career, all the way up until the very end. Uh, we were living in Florida, and then, like I said, for about a year, we were in Houston. Okay. Um, so, for a boxer, whenever you're not in camp for that six weeks, what are you doing for the most part? Are you, you know, just training and lifting, you know, by yourself, or, or how does that go? Um, well, for the most part, most of my year, um, we stayed in the gym. I mean, we were ready to fight within, within any given time. And most of the time, we were ready within two weeks because sometimes we'd just get a phone call that a fight's happening and you're going to be on it, so you better be ready. Um, whenever you start working up the ladder and you start fighting some of your bigger name opponents, your training camps are a lot more intense and you got to have some time for the body to recover. So generally for a couple of weeks after a fight, um, just kind of lay low, um, just walking around and keeping everything kind of loose, uh, but giving it plenty of time to heal. I mean, you're, you're having a lot of injuries that you don't know about when you're in training camp for that long. And then you start picking it back up and start getting in semi-ready mode, which is hitting the gym every day for a couple hours, being around the gym. And then, you know, once you get a, a estimated day of when you're going to fight, that's when you start ramping up and start getting people involved in the fight camp. 
So <clears throat> I watch a lot of, uh, of UFC and MMA. Uh, you know, boxing I watch sparingly, um, kind of the big fights. But, you know, it, it's always been interesting to me, just something I haven't really uh, fully gotten into as far as, um, I don't know, being a huge fan. But the things that we like to talk about, or at least my brother and I, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't see, kind of the dirty work of boxing. And so, like, for a, for a boxer who, you know, like yourself – was that something you were doing full-time, or were you also working on the side? Because I know a lot of the guys in the UFC and Bellator that are, you know, kind of up-and-coming, a lot of those guys are still, like, waiting tables on the side and, yeah. you know, working working jobs and then training at night. And even some of the bigger guys talk about that early in their careers. Is that something you did as well, or were you full-time? Man, I was, I was fortunate enough that whenever um, we decided to do it, uh, we made it into a profession. It wasn't something we were going to – kind of dip our toes in and, and being a little bit older getting into the sport uh, I needed to dedicate every amount of my uh, energy that I had to it if I was going to compete at a high level uh, my wife a uh, very successful businesswoman and uh, so that helped uh, cover some of the costs uh, of not having to go work myself uh, whenever I turned pro but when I was amateur yeah we still worked and trained and went to Golden Gloves Nationals uh, still having a job so and uh, professionally, you were what? I read online. It was was it you were twenty and two? Is that correct? Yeah, twenty and two. And what about amateur wise? How many fights did you have there? I, mean, I had like twenty five amateur fights, and I had a win record of like twenty, and lost about five fights with an amateur. So twenty five. So didn't have a whole lot of amateur experience. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of amateur experience. It was just very difficult to get. You know, Oklahoma is not really. It's gotten a little better uh, size wise, but. Um, for the most part, there there wasn't a whole lot of boxing growing up around here. Um, that's why I didn't get it until I was later. And then just trying to get amateur fights, you know, we were driving all over the uh, map to try to get fights lined up. And we were fighting guys at, you know, 100 amateur fights just to try to get a fight. And so that's the way, you know, going and turning into being a pro, uh, a lot of my learning experience had to do with just sparring just because of the fact that you know, even some of my fights, I was still in there learning quite a bit, uh, just because I, I didn't have a whole lot of amateur experience. Yeah, I so I assume when you're an amateur, you're not making a whole lot of money, and you're just trying to trying to get pro, correct, or is that not correct? Yeah, you don't make any money as amateur. You're it's that's why it's called an amateur, and you're just in there just getting hit just for the sake of it, I guess. Sure. <laughs> what? How do you know when you're ready to jump from amateur to professional, or or how does that how does that work exactly? Um, you know, you, know, some, you don't have to have any amateur fights. You can you can go straight to being a pro. Uh, Bernard Hopkins, uh, you know, he was a very successful boxer. I mean, won three different weight classes, I think, world titles, and uh, he didn't have any amateur fights. Now he did fight in prison and have oh. a prison fighting program going. So they don't tell you about that, but he didn't have any amateur fights. And so, and he actually lost his first pro fight. And then goes on and becomes what he is as being one of the most crafty boxers there was in my opinion. Um, but you know, if if you're going to do it, um, the best thing the younger you are, the better you are, the more experience you get. You know, once you get to about a hundred amateur fights, you see a lot of your world champions have had you know somewhere around that amount of amateur fights. It's just it's free experience and. And for me, the way I gauged myself was I had some success, and within my second year, I went to National Golden Loves. Um, so I felt like I was a real quick, quick learner. And then uh, Kevin Johnson uh, happened to come to Tulsa, and him and I sparred. And he called me about a month later and asked me to be his sparring partner 
before we fought Vitaly Klitschko for the world title in Bern, Switzerland. So that was kind of like the deciding important factor. It's like, okay, if I can be a training uh, sparring partner for a guy who's fighting for the world title, I mean, I can do this. And so it's just taking a leap of faith um, and putting myself out there to see if we can make it happen. Sure. That's awesome. So <clears throat> when you when you started boxing as an amateur, did you do it with the intention to go pro, or was this kind of like a hobby for you? I guess, I guess, how did you even get into it? Man, you know, um, decided not to go play college basketball and was needing something to stay in shape, man, needing something to do. Watched a few fights on TV as a kid growing up and loved it. I thought, man, you know, listen, I fought a few times when I was in high school. I still got that punchiness to me, I think. And so went to the gym and just started training and uh, had fun and, they uh, say, hey, man, you spar with this. Like, yeah, I ain't scared of nobody. I'm going to spar with whoever you want me to. And so got in there and I just had fun with it, man. It was, it was a blast. That that must be nice to not to decide not to join a college sport and then pick up another sport and go pro in that. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely different for sure. Uh, and that was in Tahlequah that you started doing that or no? No, I was in Tulsa. I moved to Tulsa when I was 20, and that's uh, so why I picked up boxing. Nice. So – I assume you miss it sometimes. Do you do you do you still train at all? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, you know, there's times whenever you're running or doing something, try to stay in shape. And for me, my life uh, the, revolved around training, and it was work. It was prepping for a fight. So whenever I work out now, just to stay in shape, sometimes my mind has flashbacks of like, oh, I'm training for a fight. And so you know, you do miss it. You do. You do. Um, start getting some of that aggression built up in me whenever I start training, and uh, and it kind of comes out in training, you know, just to kind of work out. And so, yeah, there's times you miss it. Do you still watch it much? No, not really, man. I mean, um, the politics of the sport kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, and um, you know, I just, I, you know, I for me. I, being where I was at in my position, being about a fight or two away from a world title shot, um, you know, you're seeing what you're seeing on TV and, and you realize that you were there, you're on the cusp of being there. And so it makes you, to me, it makes me a little bit upset because I see some of these guys that, to me, are still just bums, but they're able to fight for a world title because of the politics of the sport. And so um, that's just the reason why I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. It's, it's very political. So. so I know a little bit about it. Uh, not a whole lot though and you know a lot of people that might listen to this probably don't any, have any idea as well so can you kind of delve into to what you mean by the politics of the sport and, and kind of give us a, a little detailed look on that I mean, the easiest way of putting it is everybody knows the name Don King and Don to his credit did a tremendous I mean probably one of the best known promoters in the box there was in history and this was Tyson's dad right yeah, he, he was all, yeah he was around uh, at the end of Muhammad Ali's day. He's the one that his his claim to fame was making the Muhammad Ali George Foreman fight in Zaire, and he did it. And um, he knew how to sell a fight. He could take a bum off the street and he could take a polished up fighter and then make those two people and their fan base hate each other so much that people had to tune in and watch it. And he started a pay per view and. He made fighters a lot more money than what they were worth, and that, that was great for him. But in doing so, 
other promoters started trying to do the same thing. And what they'll end up doing is they'll take a guy and they want to turn him into a world world class fighter. So they pay a lot of money to build his record up, to pad his record. You know, they're paying fighters to fight him that are just bums. You know, they're zero and ten fighting him who has you know twenty fights. Deontay Wilder's career was built like that. Um, even Mike Tyson, he had those. They had a lot of money behind him, even though he had a great pedigree as an amateur. Um, they, they put a lot of money behind you, and they have to get that cash cow. So they they make sure that even if he has a bad night on the school card, he still is going to win. I mean, and so the politics of it, it just gets in your head. You know, you realizing you're having to fight not just the fighter, but you also have him to to beat him in other ways because of the political political side of it. I mean, I've been, you know, paid tenth of a percent of what someone who had less of a record than me fought the same opponent, you know, just because it's politics. And so it was just, it just put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was the part of the boxing sport that I didn't hate, that I hated actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, you know, I mainly watched the big fights and, and loosely then, you know, but, uh, like for example, the, uh, the triple G and Canelo fight, you know, I, I right. read, read a lot of sports and follow that. And, and, you know, people say that that was, I guess it was when Canelo, they, they had a draw, I believe. Was that what it was? And, if you said you didn't do yeah, that, I guess you may was. not know, but yeah, but the first fight was a draw. Apparently, it was you know, Triple G won the fight pretty bad, but they wanted the rematch, and then I guess they said that a lot of boxing fan bases from Mexico and and you know did not want Canelo to lose, so they kind of called it a draw and gave him a rematch. So right, and so that that stuff happens on pretty much every level of of fighting. For oh boxing. yeah, I mean, it happens on every level. I mean, you can you know, a lot of these uh, you know, when, you, when you first have a few fights. And, you know, you're working and you're, you're meeting a few connections. And, you know, we fought some in North Carolina and you fight some in Oklahoma. And a lot of those are good building states to help, you know, get your confidence up as a young fighter, fighting guys who don't have a great record. My boxing commissions are kind of relaxed with letting those fights happen. And you, you'll see some things. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so... I know you, so you started talking about Don King and kind of how uh, the trickle-down effect for that happened, but uh, I read about it, I don't know if it's true, and I remember, I think I remember seeing like a promotional commercial or video for you at the Hard Rock back in Tulsa, but you you did train with Mike a little bit, right? Yeah, man, I mean, um, so Mike had a company called Iron Mike Promotions, um, they were looking to sign a heavyweight, um, the guy they were looking at was an Olympic boxer from uh, um, Cuba. And so I came in there to spar with him. And like in the second round, I like just knocked the dude cold out and sparring. So obviously they started looking at me a little bit. Mike Tyson happened to be there and watch it. And so, um, you know, we fought once in Mesquite, Texas. And then we, him and I fought. We had a thing up at Hard Rock. Um, and then Al Heyman, who's Floyd Mayweather's uh, manager and promoter, started buying up a lot of promotional companies and one of them was Iron Mike's. He bought all the fighters out. So I hadn't signed with Mike yet, so I didn't sign with Al either um, on that kind of a deal that they had going on there. So yeah, Mike and I, you know, we, we he's a cool dude. Yeah, uh, he seems like a, I'm a big fan and I read his book about six months ago. Uh, I don't know if he read it or not, but it's pretty wild. So uh, yeah. how, how much time did you actually get to spend with him? 
Uh, not a whole lot, man. He'd come into town in Florida and, you know, stay a couple days. Um, and then, like, before the fights, you know, we'd usually see each other and hang out a little bit. Uh, the fights, and that, was, that was about it, so. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a misconception of him because a lot of the, the people I follow or read about said that he's one of the nicest guys and, you know, just super chill. And, you know, of course, I mean, he's different now than he was one, when he's in his 20s. I think one thing that's a big misconception about a lot of fighters because I've had the, the, you know, I've had the chance to hang out with a lot of different world champions and be around them. And, I mean, most of them, I mean, they're just as calm and relaxed as an everyday person walking down the street. You just don't know that person can can you know, really mess you up <laughs> if you started to fight with the wrong guy. And that's just the way it is because you have the kind of confidence of that person, so why are you going to just be boastful around for nothing? I mean, a lot of the UFC imagery out there is these wild, crazy fighters, and they are a little bit, got a couple extra screws loose than boxers. Uh, but, man, fighters, like our boxing guys, I mean, they're, they're pretty cool. Um, so who, who, out of all the people you fought, trained with, sparred with, uh, and that you know, who would you say is, is your, the best boxer to you? Man, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, sparring wise, I never really had anybody that had my number, um, uh, So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough call. It really is. I mean, I never really sparred anybody that, that I could handle. So, um, I mean, most most guys had all their own little different um, things that they were good at. They were a little crafty here or there. Yeah, man, that's a tough one. I, I, when you were, beats me. When you were with Mike, did, did he ever get in there and spar with you guys or do any light training, or was he all over that? No, man, he was out of shape. He was those fat pictures before he's not getting in shape for apparently these uh, uh, fundraising fights that he's got going yeah. on, apparently. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that because, uh, yeah, I saw when he started doing some of his speaking stuff and then talking more. You know, I think he had a documentary on Netflix I watched, and he was really, really fat, like you said, and then – now yeah. there's these these videos and Instagram photos of him coming out and you know he's super ripped and jacked and then apparently he's talking about fighting in uh, the bare the bare knuckle uh, fighting league and then boxing some other guys. So do you think he'll actually do that or no? Man, I don't know. I mean, he's in shape for a reason. I think. I mean, I, I think he didn't have the care in the world, except for a majority of boxers have financial problems. Yeah, which so he did. you know if if. A lot of boxers come out of retirement to fight because of that. Uh, I don't miss. I, I don't think that's the case, but um, it's interesting to say the least to see somebody that's fifty years old getting back ripped like that, like they're gonna do something. So yeah, well, I mean, in his book, you know, he talks about uh, his financial struggles and, and filing bankruptcy and was in, in real trouble. So, and I don't know. Like I said I don't know if he kept up with it much, but that uh, the bare knuckle fighting league. I don't know how true it is, but they they said they promised him uh, $20 million if he would fight for them. And I don't know where they would get that money, but that's what they said. Yeah. So. But, um, yeah, me, me and my brother were talking about that. Uh, you know, we'd love to see him fight because we never really got to, but I don't know how fun it would be to watch a 53-year-old man fight because that could be kind of scary. Right. be good for about 
two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Well, because... Yeah, probably get a person... Maybe, maybe two minutes, maybe a minute and a half, two minutes, probably. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of scary for someone that old, man, to take those kind of blows to the head. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know they're probably not going to put him in... If he was, they're not going to put him anybody in there besides just a stitch, just a bomb, you know, or something like that, just to you know, go in there and knock out, and that'd be it. Right. Yeah, there was uh, about, I want to say it was a year or so ago, there was uh, some UFC fighters, uh, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. They fought for the yeah. whole time, but they were both really, really old, and it, and it was real bad. It was kind of sad. It was, it was yeah. it ended quick, like you said. So, But you don't you don't ever do, you never thought about doing any type of training for, I don't know, in Tahlequah, like opening up a gym or something, or is that something you're not really interested in? No, yeah, I mean, that's something that, that I've always wanted to do. I thought, you know, at some point uh, when I was fighting still, I thought, man, so I'd like to open up a gym that I would train at, and then before I leave the training camp, you know, I'd leave here, or maybe even bring some training camps here if I had a world title fight, maybe I'd put a training camp on in my hometown. Um, so the idea has always been there to open a gym. I think – uh, I think a lot of people would like to use one, use a facility, a boxing gym. And then I think you can write a, a, a curriculum that a lot of people would enjoy doing, a lot of circuit training stuff that, that I could implement and help out with uh, getting ready. You know, we've, we've, you know, when you train, the level I've trained at, you know, you, you're able to get trained by some of the best strength and conditioning coaches that are out there, some of the best boxing coaches out there, period. And um, I think those are some of the cool things that I could bring to a gym if I open one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've taken a couple boxing classes, uh, just a handful whenever they're available, because uh, where I'm at is kind of kind of hard to get some too. And it's it's a lot of fun, like you said. If if anything, circuit training or, or you know more cardio focused. But um, right, I know there's been a couple of MMA gyms in Tahlequah, but they kind of come and go, you know. And of course, that's what happens in a small town too. It's kind of hard for some of that stuff to stick. So. Right. Right. But uh, as far as as what you're doing now with uh, with the tribe, is that something that you're trying to do for for the rest of your career? Or I mean, it's something that that I got I wanted to get involved in, regardless if I was continuing to box or not. Uh, you know, I seen a need for some change in, in the tribe, uh, political aspect of how it was being governed, and um, you know, it's what gave me the reason to do it. Was I have two girls? I got a dad who's getting. And, you know, I grew up, um, you know, without a whole lot when I was younger and, and I had friends and family that just didn't have anything. They struggled. And then, and then here you have a tribe. And when I was a kid growing up, didn't have very much finances, but now they're you know, a $2 billion industry that they own. Um, but yet those resources and that financial aid that it's supposed to be helping them hasn't quite reach those people and so that, that's the reason why i decided to get in politics is, is hopefully change that and that's something you've enjoyed so far yeah i have you know i've seen a lot of people get help that's needed help um and you know you, you try to come up with ideas and talk to people and try to figure out solutions to prevent those things from happening again and then kind of any sort of new um, policies or changes that could make great 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 uh, uh effects to these people out here yeah man i know i know Tahlequah is continuously growing and always growing and, and you know new projects are coming up is there anything that, that's going on uh that you got planned in the next one to two years that that is newsworthy like I said for someone who hasn't been back in, in about a year or so i mean you know we definitely have the the school osu medical school getting built here 
Um, you know, we have the new clinic that was built. Um, we'll see what happens with CNB and them growing uh, the casinos in town. Uh, they've tried to put a shopping mall plaza there. So, you know, there's nothing that's uh, that's planned or concrete or anything that I know of that's trying to be changed in the area. There's things that I'd like to see happen. Um, and, you know, hopefully maybe those things could be possibilities in the future. Yeah, I thought when they originally were building the new casino that they were going to, and they may do this, I don't know, but make it a lot like the Hard Rock in the the events that, or in the instance that you could plan events, like small concerts or, or, you know, the MMA or boxing matches and stuff like that. But they're not doing those there, are they? Well, they have a, uh, a yeah, called the Chota House. It's part of, it's just a flat, flat open area where you could have events if you'd wanted to. Um, but they haven't brought anything there yet. They had, they had like one of the Bassmasters Elite Series weighed in there. Um, but I don't think they've ever had any concerts there yet. And of course, now the whole COVID thing's taken over and yeah. it's reshaped how countries or how our country just gets together and congregates, period. So who knows when concerts are going to resume. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I got some concert tickets uh, in August and September and really hoping they pan out, but I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of weird right now. Yeah. So. Well, man, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I don't have a whole lot other than that. Just kind of wanted to chat and learn a little more about boxing and, and kind of your past and whatnot and some good stories. And, you know, I really appreciate you. So, uh, Hey man, appreciate you being on and good luck with the podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a cool thing to start growing when you're starting off at a new thing like this. I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's there's a lot of cool people out there. You run into a lot of cool stories and the dialogues just grow from there. So yeah, man. Uh, like I said, I appreciate it, and I'll I'll get you, I'll get you this back whenever I get it edited. And still working on the the technology of it. You know the editing skills, but uh, it's good to chat with you, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Sounds good. We appreciate it, and uh, be safe up there. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. We'll see. You.